Hello, I'm your host, Olivia Braffman, and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge us ambitious women that little bit closer to figuring out how to navigate both the fulfilling career and the family we desire. And well, challenge is the role we're supposed to play in it all. Each week, I'm going to be talking to the inspiring women who, in their own special way, have done just that. Let's get into it. This episode, I'm joined by possibly the most stylish person I will ever know, Rachel Ingram. Rachel has worked her way up the fashion ranks from fashion assistant to stylist, working with some of the most famous publications around today, from Vogue to Condé Nast Traveller to Red Magazine, Glamour, Tatler, OK, and that is just a few of them. She worked as fashion editor styling notable celebrities, cover shoots and fashion insiders before joining the team at the infamous Net-A-Porter. In just four years there, she became the global head of styling, overseeing a team of 27 stylists and editors. And if that's not a mic drop moment in itself, Rachel has gone on to become editor-in-chief and head of content for innovative fashion tech business, Threads Styling, which, side note, I have to say I'm totally addicted to the content of and want to buy everything I see, which is um, a pretty scary thing. But possibly for Rachel, the biggest and most career-defining role is about to kick off. And I hope that she's going to divulge a little bit more about that later on today. But I just want you to consider that all of this has been achieved in and amongst a time period that also saw Rachel have three gorgeous children. I feel like, Rachel, I need to give you a bit of a round of applause having done all of that and having your family. But huge welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's very funny hearing someone talk about you and you're like, Hmm, where did you pick that up from or like how do you know that but um yeah it's been a busy a really busy few years I must kind of crave mayhem I think I think you do I mean honestly reading that you'd think that that career would probably span 30 years but it's actually been achieved in a pretty short space of time and I'm really interested you know particularly when I meet someone that has charged one path I see so many people today that have had 10 different careers but you've really stuck with one industry and and really followed it through what was it do you think about your early years really taking it straight back that you think shaped you into the person you are today and having pursued the career that you've pursued that's a really good question I think I come from a family that rewards hard work And I don't mean that just with work, I mean kind of with anything. It was always about the journey you went on to get somewhere rather than the results. So my parents were never like, you have to get all A's, you have to get all A's. They just were so proud of me if I worked hard or was showing commitment to something. My parents, you know, we'd have dinner in the evening all together as a family and then they'd go off to the office and work on their side hustle, which was kind of my mum evolved into my mum's full time job, which was a travel business. And, you know, I've always been surrounded by strong work ethic. And so that plus my school, which was a very pushy academic school and was really proud of you if you did very well. <laughs> and I kind of crave that like pride in doing well. I think those two things together mean that I have always liked working hard and being successful, I guess, or feeling successful. That makes sense. I'm interested, actually, we might touch on this later on, but how 
what does success even mean? You know, as you change and morph and all these life things happen to you, how does it, how did it shift that perspective? But why fashion? How did that become? Is this something you've been influenced by? Do you have role models that worked in that industry growing up or how did you come to love that industry? It's very, um, sometimes I think it's just a bit cliche that I work in fashion and I kind of laugh at myself a bit for pursuing that that path. But I always, I always just loved beauty. I actually loved photography always. So I always loved a beautiful image or a beautiful composition. And whether that was, my dad always took photos on holidays and he was like always there with the camera. And he used to talk to me about how he'd shot it. We used to have slideshows when we'd get back from holidays on the kitchen wall with his projector and the, literally the slides that he'd taken of that holiday. And so from a young age, I guess I was always looking at the visuals projected onto our kitchen wall of like a thousand pictures of the Masai Mara tribe or something incredibly dull as a four-year, five-year-old, seven-year-old. And then I loved magazines and I always read them backwards because my mum read them backwards, just flicking from the back to the front. I don't know why, it's just something that she always did and I always did. And I used to hoard them. And it wasn't until I was a bit older that I realised that that kind of was a job. You know, you don't realise that things are jobs until you get older and then you're like oh wait we're not all teachers doctors firemen and so at that point I wasn't sure I thought I wanted to be a writer and because I that's kind of all I knew about and so really then started trying to find my way in which is always the first thing you do I guess when you're when you're sort of leaving school leaving university like okay how do I get in like what's my in what was your in? Now I'm now I'm excited to find out because I feel like in so so many of the more traditional careers, there's a very clear path in. It's sort yeah. of fill out this application and you will be on the path, then you can stay totally. on that path for the next 30 years. Fashion is very different from that. It's really I've said this before actually on a podcast. It's a very networky kind of world and if you are born into aristocracy, you've gotten in immediately because your daddy knows somebody who runs Condé Nast. You know, it's a, it's very hierarchical and it's very, very outdated. And I didn't know anybody. And I, I, I was fortunate in that I had a very big network of kind of family, friends. and But they were all doctors. They were all lawyers. If I wanted to go into an accountancy firm, I had a multitude of options. You know, the big Jewish community of accountants and lawyers could help me out. But to actually get into fashion was quite tricky. And so I asked everyone that I knew who had any kind of in anywhere. And they were all either, you know, they had their own clothing range or they were running some kind of like random fashion tech business that wasn't going anywhere. And it was really tricky. And the only way I could find in was a lawyer a lawyer who one of our best family friends was a lawyer who wrote a column for the times he wrote a, a week a weekly column for the times and I said to him please just please can I get work experience at the times and he was like I don't even work there like a contributor you know he was just a contributor and he was like let me see what I can do and he got me he got me two days at the times legal desk and I went in and I had Googled the night before, the week before, every single person in the fashion team there. And I got in and I got on that legal.intern at the times.co.uk email address. And I just emailed everyone in the fashion team internally and went, 
hey, I'm the intern on the legal desk, but I have a massive passion for fashion. Can I come and meet you? Went downstairs, met them, and basically got my first work experience by doing that. And like, I, I, I acknowledge the privilege of getting even in the door of the times in the first place, but then everything else aside from that was me just hustling the hell out of it, trying to get uh, work experience. So that then spiraled into work experience there. They actually said to me afterwards, you were the hardest working fashion fashion intern we'd ever had in the team. Like I was just so excited to be there packing up Gucci and sending back Chanel shoes, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, and they recommended me to someone else, recommended me to someone else. And I just worked my ass off basically for no money. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's testament to someone that actually has a passion for something that you're willing to basically work for free and incredibly hard. And it's actually something that came up in one of the previous conversations I've done, which is around this sort of luck mindset. So, okay, you had a foot in the door, but it was you spotting the lucky opportunity of, okay, I'm in. If I email absolutely every single person that might be connected to the thing that I want to do, one of them might give me a shot. So it's sort of, that's testament to you. No one handed you that. That was just you going, I've got an in, I'm going for it. So many other people could go, I've got an in, but I'm on the legal desk. And therefore, how do I possibly get anywhere near fashion? I'm going to have to start again. I was the worst legal intern. I, I literally abandoned them. I never came back. I even took my coat from the back of the chair and just went downstairs to the fashion desk. There you go. So yeah, I would never get a job as a lawyer. <laughs> you totally ruined all career all career opportunities to get to become a lawyer, but you had you, your sights set on bigger things. So you did that. You climbed the ranks of, I guess, working from fashion cupboards, you know, to packing up boxes and working way up. And you became a stylist. I'm interested in, you know, so many people will be listening with this dream career of becoming a stylist. But it's not really a path that anyone has mapped out. These things often manifest in their own special way with people. How did you move into styling and then ultimately move into the, the huge brands such as Net-A-Porter and pursue that? The magazine world was awful. Uh, and I don't say that in a way of like the people or, you know, the, the environment. It was more the structure and the progress. There's no linear progress in magazines. If you look at most magazines today, it's the same people at the top in the fashion team that was in the top 15 years ago when I started. You know, it it, it doesn't change because there's not enough jobs, there's not enough money. And actually the job at the top is really cushy. You're going for lunch, you're going for breakfast, you're getting free stuff. So why would you leave? Literally, you just stay until you're fired, basically. So there's no growth and it's really hard to grow and it's really hard to progress. And you're also starting in a position of, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky I get to work for free. And you're pushed into a position of, oh my God, I'm so lucky I get to work for like 16 grand a year. And that doesn't really change the whole way through. You're made to feel very, very fortunate for having these roles. So I, I will say I worked unbelievably hard but was never really rewarded for it by being taken up the ranks in the magazine world and everything I got I fought for was made to feel guilty for because someone else lost out because I got it and it was a very unhealthy system this isn't me just like 
bad-mouthing the the magazine world there was a lot of amazingness and there's a lot of amazing people that I've met who I'm still friends with today and actually have gone on to do other things who are you know styling massive campaigns or influencers you know but you you really had to kind of carve your own path and I did it for a, a long while and by the time I got to a position where my name was valuable enough I thought I don't know how much longer this is sustainable for and that's when I moved to Netaporte and I couldn't believe how structured it was and how you could start in a role and then work really hard and get this promotion and that meant more money and a title change and I like I was so excited by that that I just wanted to keep growing as quickly as I could and in my head I was like right I'm going to go as far as I can in a couple of years. And I just worked my ass off to get from, and also like changed my whole outlook of try to get everything quietly to try and be lovely to everybody, bring everybody on the journey with you, change that narrative of fashion is exclusive and you have to kind of hide what you've got to, to nurture everybody below you, be nice to everybody and just kind of make it a pleasant environment because I'd been in so many unpleasant environments. And I I guess it was right place, right time in the sense that people were moving on and shifting and, and roles above me opened. But it was also, I came in and on day one was like, I'm going to be the most important person in this team if I can. And, and worked hard to get there. So within literally a couple of years, I went from being a stylist in that team to to running the team globally to running the UK and the and the US team and got pregnant had my first daughter interviewed in fact for the role of the global head after giving birth I I'd, I was writing my application a few days into having the baby like she was maybe four days old I remember having her on my boob and actually being like oh this is quite good because I can prop her up and type at the same time and then went for the interview. My mum came with me and feeling like a boss woman. I was wearing my jeans. I put this cool Magda Budrum top on. I put my heels on and I walked in for the interview and I realised I'd left everything in the buggy. My laptop, my presentation and having to phone my mum and just like a little tear rolling down my face being like, mum, can, can you come to the, can you come to the door? Because I've left everything in the buggy. But it was great. It was like, it was the first time in my life that I, felt that if I worked hard, I could be rewarded and I could grow properly. And I loved that. This fascinates me, this mindset of, okay, this huge culture shift, first of all, you, you went from elbows out, there's not enough jobs. So dog eat dog, every man for themselves, go for the position to, okay, this is a huge company with structure and process. And I can really evolve into a leader here take people on the journey with me which ultimately will move you higher and and achieve even more success why did you care to climb the ranks so just to me like when I listen to you it's obvious I'm like I would be the same I would just want to get to the top but that's actually not a mindset that everyone has why did you care to achieve the highest position within that company once you saw what the potential opportunities could be for you it's a good question I do it with everything I always, um, my husband and I laugh at each other because we're both the same. We're very similar in that way. Nothing's ever 
enough. We always, and not because we're not grateful and we are so grateful for everything we have and our lives, but we always just want that bit more or like we, we want to achieve that bit more. We want to, we're always striving. We're always striving. And I don't know why I think maybe it's a personality thing. Maybe it is because of that, I don't know, that education of like, be the best, be the best, be the best, which was my schooling. Maybe it's because I love, I don't know. I actually don't know. I think I just have that mentality that you push for the best possible opportunity. And my my now business partner laughs at me because when we were when we were putting together this new proposition, she'd always be like, this is great. And I'd be like, but it's not the best. Like we can get better. We can do better. We can make it better and then push for more and we'd get more and it, more would come and, you know, and we'd achieve more. But that's, that's just how my brain works. I think it's exhausting. It's just ingrained in part of you. <laughs> it sounds it. <laughs> but it's so interesting because clearly that's how you've been always. I really want to go back to the journey of you applying for this huge role, babe in arm, you know, on maternity leave. But you did mention your new role. And I want to talk about this as well. So after Netaporte, you joined the team at Thread Styling. Really innovative. And I think it sounds like you brought a whole nother level of innovation to how they do things. Has that been quite career shaping for you in terms of Netaporte was a huge culture shift. Now I've seen process. I've understood leadership. I've worked across huge teams. What what were the what were the learnings from moving to Threads? It was it came at a perfect time. So I was pregnant with my second daughter. I met Sophie Hill, the founder, who is a brilliant woman, and she wanted me to come in and essentially bring that fashion authority to Threads. And at the time, it was servicing a client with you know product to buy, but it didn't feel. It, it was fashion forward and they had some brilliant content and I was already actually very impressed with them before I even met Sophie, but it didn't feel yet like it was driving the trends. It felt like it was kind of following the trends. So Sophie wooed me over a period of a month or so. And I was like, Sophie, I've just found out I'm pregnant. This was after our first interview where she was like, oh, this is great. This is great. This is my second. And I, I literally just found out like in between the first and the second interview. And I was like, I get it. Like, you're not going to want me. And she was like, I want you. I, st- I don't care. We all have babies and that's what we do. And, 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 I, and I want you and I will wait. And I had a three month notice at Netaporte. So she waited the three months. Then I went into threads for two months and went on maternity leave. And I was like, listen, I'm going to be as quick as I can. Uh, came back after five or six months and really went into it. But... I I almost like learned the structure. I had the creativity, I guess, from magazines, <clears throat> which is just kind of free. I mean, when I went there, it was a free for all. It was do what you want, spend what you want, be as creative as you want. You don't need, there's no business side, right? Then I moved into that slightly, well, very structured, slightly more driven. I was pulling in the creativity to it, but it was driven by how do we sell? What do we sell? you know, what what are we pushing? And then threads felt like this amazing combination of both. It was use creativity to really directly generate content that is going to drive sales and show people, manipulate people into falling in love with something that you have stock of or you have access to. And 
monitor how that does and then use that knowledge to then create your next piece of content. And there was this amazing feedback of, I am now using the creativity that I have that I love using. So I was much more hands-on again. And I'm actually able to see the feedback and I'm able to see what's working and what's not working and to really understand the impact this can make on the brand. And we went from, I think when I started around 20% of their sales came from content and uh, I took it very quickly up to 40% and it hit 50% during my period of kind of being very hands-on. And then it's now hovering between 40 and 50%. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it was really, it was really amazing to see that impact and to feel that and to hear the direct feedback. Cause you've got people talking to you, you know, like you've literally got people on, on DM. It's such a new way of shopping. It's so interactive. It's a bit like, I don't want to compare it to QVC, but the old fashioned QVC where everyone just wants to grab everything if, because someone is showing it to you in such a brilliant way, mm. but it's the new world of it. So you're speaking very much about live content. So live was almost came in, I'd say about a year ago and took our content from this kind of showcase of amazing things, shooting it in different ways to make people want it. And then live shopping was that urgency. It was that, yeah, if you don't get this now, it's going to be gone and you are going to regret not having this. And For me, that was always the most amazing thing about threads. It was like, we've got access and we're kind of going to let you in. But like, if you miss it, like you've missed it. And being able to do that live on essentially like a, a video, you know, like live to people was so much more impactful than just saying that in words, you know, in copy on, on, on an image and live shopping has been transformative. You know, it's a really it's a really big part of what we do now because we're giving people access to something. We're giving them the ability to really up close and personal, see the product, understand how it fits. And then they know me or the other presenters and they're like, okay, cool. So Rachel probably is about my size or a bit bigger and I could see how it's fitting on her. So they feel like I'm shopping for them, you know? And actually you had a message from someone the other day, I was doing a live piece in Loewe, the store in Bond Street. And she messaged me afterwards, like, I've bought the jacket in your size because I know we're the same size. And I was like, I didn't even know you. Like, but we're the same size, cool. But yeah, it's it's really, it's a really interesting space, live shopping. So you've been doing this, you've had two children there, I guess, doing the maths. Yeah, yeah so I had my third and 18 months after the last. So really close succession as well, which I'm keen to dig into how what the reaction has been, it sounds very positive on you having each of the three children. Before we get into that, let's talk about the new role. So you've had this incredible career at Threads. This huge opportunity has has landed on you. What is it? What does it mean? What does the future look like for Rachel Ingram? Yeah, so the last, so I've been at Threads over four years now. And my a very good friend of mine who I worked with at Netaporte for years. She was at Netaporte for 10 years, 11 years. She was their global head of production. So she basically set up and ran all their studios globally, London, Milan, New York. And she and I were approached by, so I brought her to Threads. I was like, come 
on, come to Threads. And then we were approached by essentially uh, a big investment company who run luxury agencies. So they run luxury, what do they have? They have a PR agency. They have uh, an agency that takes big, big brands that you would know about into China and helps them launch in China. They have a, a, an SEO agency, all these kind of, but all in the luxury space. And they'd been looking to buy a social marketing agency for years. And they have never found one where, I guess, where you have that combination of luxury and social. It's quite tricky because if you think about it, a lot of social and digital agencies are run by influencers or kind of cool tech people who are way cooler than me but aren't necessarily luxury and Frankie that's my business partner and I have just grown up in the luxury space so we understand the narrative we understand the market we understand the clients we understand the people and and how to really communicate on that level as well as we really understand social you know we really I mean Frankie can pull together a shoot in like in her sleep and creative content and budgets and strategy and for me I know how to take a brand and how to use their Instagram to generate revenue for that brand to generate brand awareness for that brand to make that brand feel like the coolest brand out there and what it is that people want to see from that brand on social and so they basically approached us we chatted and they've brought us both in to run this digital marketing agency for them which is great because it kind of gives us the autonomy and the the ability to run our own business within the safety net of a bigger organization and and a bigger a bigger I guess network as well which is the exciting bit because you know the brands that they're already working with are the brands that are looking for this already and we're able to then be able to then service them wow and it's almost like everything you've ever done has led up to this moment it sounds like it's all of your learnings and teachings are sort of culminating in being used and exercised in in this new role it's true and it's also that evolution I guess of my career which is funny because if you'd said to me when I was an intern at a magazine one day you'll run a digital marketing agency I'd be like and eh, that's not really you know what I'm doing but but it is it's 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 really untraditional it's really it's a social strategy agency and but it is it's digital marketing and every step I've taken has pushed me in this direction to to end up here and I'm really excited and I'm gonna be a CEO man like that's great I mean what a what a way to what a way to bring in 2023, I guess, as a CEO of a business. Absolutely. Did you ever think that when you were climbing the ranks and you really started from the bottom, well, working for free, that there's no, there isn't sort of more of a bottom than, you know, you're working for nothing. As you were moving up, did you sort of realize opportunities ahead of you or set goals as you were going along? Or do you think, being a CEO of a of an agency was that always the big goal that was never the big goal that was never the big goal but I'm always always looking at what's next every day that's my my conversation around the dinner table with my husband it's always but what's next from here where do we go from here how do I get from here because when I finally got to where I could get to at Netaporte I had to leave to get the next you know the next challenge and 
in a way that's what's happened at threads like i've i've got to everywhere i can go and i'm editor-in-chief at threads and and i i love that role it's a really um an incredibly stimulating and diverse role but i've done it and i can't go any further and i i, I talked about this even with with my boss who's actually left now my the cmo and you know i spoke to her about it and would cmo be the right role for me and actually it wouldn't and it doesn't necessarily interest me which is a really funny thing because then i'm going to run a marketing agency but a lot of that sort of traditional cmo role it's just it's not my background it's not my knowledge it's and i'm really good at doing things that i'm good at i'm really bad at doing things that i'm not good at and i have to stick to what I can do to feel confident and and to achieve what I want to achieve so I I really was at a bit of a tricky point with my career where I was like okay so I don't want to be a CMO but what's after an editor-in-chief and what does that mean how does that transfer into another business and what kind of business would I transfer into and it did I, I was at this real crossroads of how where do I go from here well what I think is fascinating about you is you have three children. They're young children. You know, they're not all in school. Is one in school? Two, at- two, uh, two, three, and five. So one is at school and one is at preschool and one's at nursery. So what I find amazing is that I speak to so many women who when they think about their career, they go, well, I'll speed it up at this point until I have children. Then I'll have children. I'll just sort of coast along we'll have the mat leaves, we'll do the things that provide us with the stability and the security and all of that good stuff. And then I I can speed it up again. So you have this sort of strange inertia period in your career. This is what I see a lot. And for some reason, you've managed to go on, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? You've just sort of absolutely kept the train going at 100 miles an hour, despite the fact that you've had three children in this process. So I want to understand how you've been able to do that. And how has having the children not in any way from the outset seemed to have slowed the progress that you've made in your career? So you're at Nestaporte, you have your have your first child you you go off and you're on maternity leave and and this new role comes up. So what's going through your head in terms of I have a four-day-old child, there's this awesome role. I'm going to go for it. Like what's going through your head at at this moment? Well, the girl who was leaving that role told me to apply for it. So I had a bit of confidence that I felt I was going to get it. My now business partner, Frankie, was the one who interviewed me. And I actually still tease her about this because I was like, you made me do a 90 day plan. And I had a four day old baby. Like what's wrong with you? You're messed up woman. But I, I felt that I had a boss who understood where I was at right and who wasn't holding me having a baby against me thinking oh I don't want to give her this role because she's not going to come back for six nine months or whatever and you know I there was never any feeling that having a baby was going to be a problem right does that make sense and because yeah because the people around me never made me feel that way and then I went to Threads who hired me knowing I was pregnant. And then when I phoned my CEO crying, going, I'm really sorry, I'm pregnant again, you know, and, and I really, I, I didn't mean to do this to you. She was like, what's wrong with you? I'm so thrilled for you. Like, I think I've been so 
fortunate and it's luck, it's pure luck that I've had really supportive, really amazing female bosses when I've been pregnant. And even on the flip side of coming back from the jobs, you know, I went back to, I went back to my, after my first two quite quickly, by the time I was, Bailey was, my first was five months old, I was a bit bored, if I'm honest, and I just wanted to go back to work. And so did a few days a week from maybe, maybe early, maybe four months. And then with my second, I went back at six months, even though she wasn't even sleeping through the night and I was a complete mess because I felt this responsibility. I'd just taken on this job at Threads. And then with my third, I, it was lockdown. I was like, oh, I might as well do that. I've got nothing else to do. And each time I've gone back, I've gone into a step up, which is a bit insane. So not only were they incredibly supportive, but they also wanted me back enough to sort of push me forward and propel me forward in my career to get me back again which I I kind of think was because when I was there I was working my ass off and you know doing everything it took to do the job as well as I could and to support the business as much as I could and to give a hundred and fifty percent at all times so so actually it's not so much as a British woman, you're eligible for 12 months. And the fact that you didn't take 12 months was not innate pressure that you felt like you had to go back. Actually, it's just part of you and your personality that I've spent this much time at home. I'm actually ready mentally to to get back and do this thing. And that's okay. That's a really good way of putting it. And it wasn't that I, I think actually with my second, I wasn't ready but I did feel a responsibility, not a pressure at all. They never pressured me to come back, but a responsibility because I'd just taken that job on. And actually I wasn't ready. I could have done with another couple of months, but, and that's only because my middle child was a nightmare baby, but I always felt excited and like, I just wanted to go back. I just wanted to do something. I'm not very good at not doing anything. So I wanted to get going and do and work and get involved. It's so interesting because, and I know myself, my husband would be shocked and probably hugely disagree at hearing me say this, but I naturally want to be obedient and uh, not cause any trouble or inconvenience. He will wildly disagree, but but that's kind of innate in me, particularly at work. I don't want to cause any inconvenience. And so I guess the thought of having a child going back and then quite soon after saying I'm having another child even though you're doing nothing wrong, it's, that actually scares me. <laughs> the thought of doing that scares me. But actually, you, so you didn't face, you didn't face any sort of stigma around that at all. No, I didn't. And I think it's probably because the CEO was so supportive and so nice about it that no one else could be horrible about it. If you do you know what I mean? Because if well, if the boss is okay about it, then why would we not be okay about it? And like, what a great way to run a company. I do wonder, you know, the fact that you've had so many female role models and very supportive women. And look, fashion is largely dominated by women to be wildly stereotypical about the industry, but it is dominated by women. And let's say, you know, 80% of women choose to have a child versus not. The hope is, I guess, if you're moving through the ranks of that industry is that you are surrounded by women who have either gone on a journey or know people who have gone on the journey. And you'd hope that brings with it support and acceptance where maybe in other industries it's harder. Yeah, I mean, you can be unlucky, but yes, you would hope so. So you're about to build a business from the ground up. 
you've got three young kids. Your husband is also a CEO. So we've got husband and wife, both CEOs of businesses. You have three kids. Normally, someone sort of says, you go for it, I'll hang back. Someone is a primary caregiver. You know, someone is sacrificing something somewhere. What exactly is going on at home to allow you both to run successful businesses and be CEOs? We, our parents are amazing. Like, honestly, my my parents and his parents are unbelievable. They each do a day a week of looking after one kid, then going and picking the other kids up from their respective nursery and school and bringing them back and helping with supper. We we have help. We have a nanny who comes every day from three till seven. And our kids are great. They're, they're actually, no kids are easy, but they are, they're good kids. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're three girls. So they're kind of quite calm. And we just love chaos, I guess. Like we, we're okay with the chaos. It gets, it gets harder. So it gets complicated when I have to travel or when it's half term or when I have to go and film something on a day when actually it's my day for pickup. And Simon and I just sit and work out, okay, well, I'm going to do Wednesday for you. It's very much that. It's, I'll do it for you, but you have to do Thursday morning for me. And then it's like this negotiation where we both try and like one up each other of like, well, actually I did, I did two days last week for you. And don't remember you went to Harrods on Saturday afternoon and I was with the kids. Um, but we just, we try, we really try and uh, help each other out. And that is just what it is. And no one gets annoyed with anyone and, and we split it. And I do feel sometimes that, you know, sometimes when I go and pick up my daughters from the nursery and the school, I'm like, I don't remember doing this this year like I literally went the other day and I was like this is the first time I've done this pickup like a a three o'clock and a 315 and I was like that's really sad isn't it but then I'm very very present in so many other ways and you know we have breakfast together and I never miss something really important and I do a lot of drop-offs I probably do like a two drop-offs a week and a pickup so sorry that was a really long-winded answer but it's a juggle. It's literally a juggle. And I do most of the juggling and assigning of the juggle, which is a big mental load. But you make it work. And I think it sounds like, because a lot, what I hear from a lot of people is, because I'm going for my career, I'm sacrificing something. So I'm missing something or relying on someone else for something. And yes, to be honest, everyone needs a support network around them. It takes, it takes a village. Everyone knows that. But what is your perspective in terms of do you think that the fact that both you and your husband have really gone for it with with your careers and achieved incredible heights as a result of of what you've put into that has had any detrimental impact on how your kids have grown up and the relationship that they have with either one of you? No, I'd say probably the opposite. I'd say that we're really lucky that our kids are growing up in a household where they see how hard we work you know I actually started exercising this year right I've never exercised before and I'm so excited when my kids are playing exercise or when they're you know saying to each other in a game oh let's go for a run and I'm so proud of them because 
these are the habits that you want your children to have. You want them to to know what hard work looks like. You want them to know what healthy living looks like. You want them to understand healthy eating and all these things, because hopefully it will then become part of their psyche and part of their lives. So I think the detriment is when I can't switch something off and I'm trying to get it done. And I'm then at the same time, last night I was trying to read to them, but I also knew that I had to send an email and I was trying to do both at the same time. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You have to choose one. So I actually left the room, sent the email while they were going crazy in their room and then came back in and then read to them. And it's the only way of doing it. You cannot do both. My mum always says, give yourself over to it. Whatever it is, give yourself over to it. And it's true. Like if you're parenting, you're parenting. If you're working, you're working. And Frankie, my new business partner and I, are both mums and sometimes she's on the school run and I know I need to pick up that email you know that that's how it's going to be that's that's how it's going to be so I'm very lucky that I will now be working going forward from November with another mother so we can really try and help each other out and support each other in the same way that Simon and I do with parenting and how's your mental health so you you're you're at work you're giving all of yourself to work because I think that's just how you're built you know throw everything you've got into something work your hardest how could you not then you've got your three kids you've got your husband do you have time for yourself does that exist as part of the schedule how do you make sure that you're looked after in the process that's the bit that I wasn't doing so that's the bit where I I wasn't giving myself any time because I felt like there wasn't time so earlier this year and and I think also I am a bit of a um I don't care about things that aren't important you know like I I think some people would just really be like this is so much this is too much and like find my lifestyle quite stressful I don't care like I'm not I'm not phased I guess by it I don't get bogged down I think that's the what I'm trying to say I don't get bogged down emotionally by things but I did realize that I was not giving myself any time so that's why I started this kind of healthier lifestyle program of you know just trying to do something for myself a few times a week which became exercise because it was the only way I could be on my own and and it's good it's really really great and it's half an hour a day if I can of go for a run or do a resistance workout or something, you know, something at home. I don't have time to go to a gym. I don't have time to go to a personal trainer. It's literally like run in Highgate Woods across the road. Um, but I listen to a podcast, but I love that. And that has, and, and you have half an hour. Like I have the busiest life. You have half an hour. Everybody has half an hour. And I remember at the beginning saying, I'm never going to be able to do this because I literally don't have any time. But you know what I don't now do? I don't sit as much on Instagram and scroll. I don't, I don't, I don't watch TV. Obviously I don't watch TV. I don't have time to watch TV, but you know, I I don't watch box sets or anything. I work, run, or (laughs) hang out with my kids. Those are my three things that I do. Exactly. There's, you, you have to force yourself to have time. And actually if we all, if we all dissect our days, I'm sure we just burn through hours at a time just doing completely pointless things that don't benefit us in any way, scrolling through Instagram being the obvious ones and binge 
binge watching Netflix. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I still definitely do do scrolling through Instagram and TikTok and be real and all of the above. Um, but that is part of my job. So I tend to try and do that during the day. So your ambition, has it changed? Always been ambitious. You've always wanted to achieve the best. You've got to CEO. You're now about to go on a, another huge journey. But you've got kids. You're raising three girls, which is also really interesting. Do you think your, I guess, view on success or ambition or where you want to go has amplified as a result or if anything you've actually shifted what's important to you now I don't think I've changed what's important to me in the sense that the same things are still important my kids having a stable loving household is number one and then being happy and healthy and surrounded by family that's that's all kind of comes into number one providing that financially is number two essentially like a lot of it's driven by providing the best I can for my kids and for for us and being passionate I guess about what I do and loving my work is really really important as a number three and that's never really changed it's just evolved And I think that's the same with this new role. You know, I get to do what I love doing and therefore it's worth it. That's such an important lesson in itself. Doing what you love is such a number one. It doesn't feel like such hard work if you actually enjoy the work that you're doing. It's a huge drain or or takes you away from the other things that are really important to you if you really don't like what you're doing. You know, if you're still at the legal desk and that's really not important And you just don't care about it. It's just time away from the thing you care about more. And then you start to resent it. So I I completely, I completely see that. And my last question, I feel like I've asked you so many, but my last question to you is, as you reflect now on your life, would you do anything differently? Or do you feel really proud looking back at how you've handled it all? This is a really controversial thing to say, but I probably wouldn't have bothered going to university. (laughs) I hope no teenagers are listening to this podcast. No, I think I I wish I knew now, I wish I knew then what I knew now about those first few years. And I remember leaving uni and looking at people who hadn't gone to uni in the magazine world who were three years ahead of me and thinking, oh, what a waste of time that was, because it didn't really help me in what I did. Everything leads to something. I met my husband at uni, you know, like, you know, we everything happens for a reason, but I definitely feel like I could have sped up the first few years of my career. But then that's just me again, just trying to push myself forward faster than I need to. So, so really, maybe my advice would be slow down and actually enjoy everything while you're in the moment because you're doing all right. That's the thing I wanted you to hear everything you've achieved at the beginning of this podcast because I actually think it's not often that you think about it and actually have an opportunity to reflect on it and also realize that it's really not the norm certainly not with the family that you've built alongside and clearly the one that is highly functional and works and is totally chaotic but you probably wouldn't have it any other way you're the first person I've spoken to that has not had any dent in the acceleration of what they've tried to pursue and also not apologized for what they've tried to pursue 
alongside what they're trying to do personally and the family they're trying to build on the side you are the first person and to that a I'm so pleased that you've offered to share your story because I think it's the rarity means people just need to hear it but also you should feel incredibly proud of that well listen thank you so much for today everything all the luck in the world for your for the new job no doubt that with your track record it will be wildly successful uh so thank you rachel it's been amazing thanks olivia thank you thank you so much for listening if you liked this episode please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe it helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know and if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast i would love to hear from you my details are in the description below i will see you next week